Welcome to the Backwards Infect at Twitter and Gmail under that same name. I have just one question for you. How soon is now? So here we are. I'm talking to my brother right now. He's not in front of me, but we have this interesting technology where, according to me, he's in front of me. According to him, I'm in front of him. But what's interesting is I don't necessarily require his presence in order to have a conversation. So if this podcast session was over and our connection is cut, it could be three hours from now and I could continue to talk to him in my mind. I could maintain the conversation and have it going in my mind. In my mind, I'm asking the questions and he's answering or vice versa. My question to you is, who am I talking to at that point? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of reminded by Osho who said some questions we just can't answer that are, are put out there. Um, this is definitely a version of the mind's eye that that you see that the conversations in my head normally are attached to something like pride or um, resentment or normally there's something tied to the conversation in someone's head. And our particular relationship may be a little bit different because, you know, as we've both said, you know, at this point in our lives in this type of spiritual partnership that we have that, you know, we hold ourselves accountable and so I can very well see that, you know, you're, we're on some kind of a wavelength that, you know, nothing may be attached to those, but anytime I see myself having a conversation in my head, I always have to stand back and say, Hey, what am I doing? Me and you is kind of a special circumstance that, you know, could be tapping into something because there's, there's nothing attached, but down to business. So if I'm having a conversation in my head with you, it's normally, um, you know, something we seem to be on the same level on. Um, that's a tough one. That's a tough one because I'd have to really sit and analyze, you know, the conversation that I'm having with you as far as what is it, is it sparking any emotion in me? You know, is it, you know, what's the reason, even if I'm just planning for a podcast and I'm, I'm talking about, Hey, I'm going to say this, or I'm going to say that, you know, even, even if it's very, very subtle, is that still attached to pride somehow or, or whatnot? But yeah, that's my, 
ridiculously ignorant answer. No, it's yeah. That the part about specifically you and I is definitely interesting because we both know that there's higher forms of divinity working in each other. And yeah, it's definitely possible that there could actually be, um, true conversation, true non-attached conversation going on. So probably using you as a bad example to start because, um, to keep it like really relatable to everybody that conversation that you're having with somebody in your head, you know, if you say like a father figure, like you're having a conversation with a father figure in your head. And I think everybody's kind of done this where like they talk to their parents in terms of, you know, maybe you're about to visit or maybe uh, you just visited and you can have this dialogue with them in your heads, but it doesn't require their actual presence. And my main question was like, because we, we, we talk a lot about dimensions and I think that's one of those like trigger words that really kind of throw people for a loop. I mean, we try to be scientific. We try to be relatable when we're communicating these things. And I think when you use a word like dimension, you can lose a lot of people because they don't want to follow you or don't understand how to follow through multiple dimensions. But if you look at like a conversation with a father figure that everybody has, and if you need to like work through some process, like maybe there's some emotions involved, like if the conversation is happening in your head, you're just as susceptible to the emotions as you are if you're actually having the conversation with him in person. So my point is, like, this is the fourth dimension. This is the mental dimension where interactions in this dimension have actual consequences on your physical body. So building our dimensional construct in terms of being relatable, this is what we're talking about. This is when you take that next step from the 3D. Like the 3D is everything that I can do and relate to everybody. But there is another dimension, the fourth dimension, which is just happening in my head, just a conversation in my head. Nobody around me is aware of it. However, the reactions caused by that conversation are having physical 3D interactions with the matter in my body through my emotions. Yeah, so, yeah, you sparked me off there. The fourth dimension being the most influential to the subconscious and dream work. Yeah. So anything that you are in your head about, you are effectively painting the roadmap for your subconscious at night, um, which is, you know, a lot of people do it. A lot of most people do it unconsciously. You know, we notice uh, our level of unconscious now, too. Um, and the thing that points to that 
to me the most that stood out is this little practice I've been doing on retrospection. I think you brought it up last week. It's um, It reveals a lot because if you can lay down before you go to sleep and look back at your day, I feel like most of my reactions are managed. Like I, I, I go through every interaction with every person and, you know, I'm not reacting to get angry. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not that person anymore. After that first awakening, you know, you know, the basics of how you interact with people, but where it gets very subtle in that fourth dimension is what you said. It's um, the conversations that, can be had in your head after an interaction. Um, they get really, really minute and, and, and really small. So something to pay attention to, but unconsciously dreaming at night and uh, remembering those can really, you know, tip you off uh, to where you're at. So just to give you an example, like something profound happened to me in meditation Um right before I went to bed, you know, I was going through my day and what it did with my mind's eye, it's kind of twofold. It helped me in two ways, you know, it helped me with my mind's eye, but it also helped me for retrospection. I mean, when you can go back and look at your day and use your mind's eye to do that, you're getting mind's eye practice. Um, you're observing the little things that may have happened you're observing the times you might have fell asleep during the day. You're you're observing, hey, when I drove here and there's a gap here, was I unconscious that whole truck ride? Um, so you're but on the other side, it it really something profound happened to me where I opened up my mind's eye bigger and better than I ever had before. And I wasn't even trying to do it. And it was based on the principle that because I was watching a movie of my day that I was, I, I guess I was holding the mind's eye better and I'm kind of a natural storyteller. So I think I gave you the example, like, you know, the pink elephant, you know, try to hold a pink elephant in your mind's eye. So when you do that, the whole training of meditation is to watch things dissipate. So when you put a pink elephant, it's just kind of like a thought. If you observe it, it, it kind of disappears, right? So then yeah. it turns into, well, you're like trying to apply effort. And then I'm like, well, you know, effort is, I know effort's not a good thing. If I'm sitting here trying to see my mind's eye, it's not a, it's not going to help me. I know all of this is effortless. However you find that, it's got to be like this natural transition into the mind's eye open what happened when i was watching a movie is i was just effortlessly using my mind's eye but it was a it was a technique that you know i got to like midday and i was looking into other dimensions like i was seeing kids play in a field i was like um kind of like remote viewing and um you know there's some other scenes that i was seeing um, a lot of times, you know, when I'm, I'm looking into other dimensions, as far as that, I'm just seeing people like walk around. I haven't really made any sense of it, but I've opened up some kind of mind's eye where I'm remote viewing something, whatever that may be. But after that conversation we had, and then, 
you know, the synchronicities they were having with some of Gene's videos, um, it, it was the perfect storm to, for me to sit down and, and have that retrospection meditation and, and open up the mind's eyes. So I was definitely grateful to find that tool. Um, but yeah, getting back to the conversations in your head, I think those are, those are things to, to observe with retrospection as well, because, um, You know, even though you might have handled something that you think perfectly in a particular situation or during your day. And a lot of times I this is a big point to make, like a lot of times I think you even said it like um, like with your kids, like you notice the bad, but even like like the good things that you do, like the pride, you don't necessarily see that right away the conversations in my head, I feel like I pick up on like the negative things right away and I'm able to realize it and let them go. It's the prideful conversations in your head that say you just had a successful meeting and, um, you know, everything went well and you're walking out with your chest out a little bit higher and you're thinking you're the man. Then those conversations start. I don't catch those for like five or 10 minutes. Because I'm like, it, it's not as detectable and it right. feels so good. Like the resentment right. stuff and all that you pick up on and you're like, yeah, don't worry. That's not, that's not for me. The prideful ones really get you because they, you, you can stay in them and then you just use that one justification. Like, oh, this kind of feels good. I'll do it a couple more minutes. <laughs> it's yeah. very weird. Uh, but yeah, the, um, yeah, for the retrospection, the ones that really kind of, um, enlighten me is when I, you're talking about like the analysis of the conversation. So the analysis of like a conversation you actually have with somebody in the 3d, and it's great if you're dealing with like your spouse or if you're dealing with your kids. Um, there's something about those relationships where you're extremely conditioned in those relationships. Um, that there's there's a lot to be revealed if you really pay attention to what's going on in even small daily interactions there. But a lot of times, like I'll find irritation that I'm hiding from myself and it basically it's you're lying. You catch yourself lying to yourself. And then you use some kind of justification to manifest the irritation, but maybe you're doing it like a smart ass or you're like you're doing whatever you need to do to run have some of that stuff run its course but it's all based on a lie and those are so good to catch those are so fun to catch but that's that's the process of that retrospection which is i mean it's talked about with a lot of the meditation practices but it definitely i think pays dividends it gives you a lot to um understand 
with those conversations in your head and trying to understand the fourth dimension, what you were saying is that's when in taught in terms of like seeing into other worlds, like that's the ultimate manifestation of the fourth dimension. So that's, yes. that's what it's capable of when you, when you really start to work with it. But I don't think people understand that they're interacting with it all the time. Yeah, I think you, yeah, you, yes, that's key. The fourth dimension interacting with it all the time because we're riding on the slate of our subconscious. But that remote viewing is the fourth dimension looking into the fifth dimension. Yes. And then when you start to do it consciously. Yes. But then entering the fifth dimension, fifth dimension is conscious. Yes. So you would say the fourth dimension, the impressions on the subconscious, how they manifest during the day manifest to us right now, unconsciously in the fifth dimension. So obviously our goal is to become conscious in the fifth dimension. You start your astral experiences. That's, that's a huge point. I think it's a real, um, a real key. There is for me just understanding like the fourth dimension, you can consciously during meditation, open up the eyes and look, into the fifth dimension, but it doesn't necessarily like I haven't mastered going into the fifth dimension consciously, if that makes sense. Yeah. Difference between remote viewing and actually having a conscious astral experience where you're in the fifth dimension and you're making decisions as if you're in the 3d. Right. Very, very real. And when it happened to me, that was still, you know, an unconscious place. So you're still talking about hell realms, um, to where, where you're at. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good, good point to make right there. And if you go back and we're, we stay with the example of like talking to a father figure or talking to a parental figure, and we understand that we can have conversations with that person in their head, and these are just conversations that mimic what we would have in the 3D. Our, our being is susceptible to those emotions, whether we're talking in the 3D or the 4D. But my next, next question is, what happens after that parental figure passes on? So after death those conversations continue and you're still able to have conversations with let's say a father figure even after now they're gone this i think goes to what you were trying to say earlier about there is a mystical quality where if you can really pay attention and understand that maybe i'm not necessarily attached to this conversation with pride or with anger or whatever it is that you would be attached with your figure it's possible that you could be receiving in the fourth dimension in that state 
<clears throat> yes. I I think I, I say yes and no. I mean it just depends on um that fourth and, and fifth dimension. You is just talking in terms of conscious and unconscious. I mean in the fifth dimension you see a bunch of people walking around that don't even really have any consciousness, so but yeah, I mean you can definitely continue after someone's passed away. I mean I've I've seen many people in my mind's eye. I say many, I, I don't have too many people that you consider family that have died, but I have had interactions with them in the dream world. Um but I I know I was unconscious in the dream. So two unconscious people in a dream, you're so the task for me is consciousness in the fifth dimension. And then you start to figure out who's alive or not. Basically. Right. Right. Um, but that basic level of fourth dimension and conversations in your head, I mean, that could go on forever and ever. I don't know how good that is as far as, um, I don't know if that's doing anything positive. Um, I don't either, but it's definitely something people do in terms of like they could relate to it. Like lots of people get stuck in those conversations. I would assume, I mean, most of my family like yours is still alive on that level. But I mean, even if you go to like grandparents and stuff, like you can catch yourself like, geez, I just had a 10 minute conversation with somebody who's been dead for a while. And then so the retrospection is. Was I attached to that conversation? Was there something like like my pride or my anger needed to get out where maybe the energy was used in an ego way? Or or did I actually enter that completely without expectations? And was that an actual interaction? Yeah, I mean, I would say for 99% of people, that was not an actual interaction in the in the fourth dimension when it comes to conversations in the head. Because I kind of think the fourth dimension is really only for the living. I don't even know if, you know, the access is there for someone's at fifth or higher anymore. But it could be a connection or a connector um, into the dream world and able to, I think at that point, if someone's passed on and you're having a conversation in the fourth dimension, it's one-sided at that point. It's something that the person on earth here <clears throat> has to work through. It doesn't mean there couldn't be any experiences or conversations you know, past the fourth dimension and the fifth dimension, but I th I think uh, yeah, a lot of. Do that you think most people like if you if we take like the humanity that we understand like as a whole, and they go through the grieving process with somebody close to them, and the conversation in the fourth dimension remains and we know like most of humanity is asleep 
so that's fine. I mean, we can assume that we're talking about asleep people. Are they aw- at some point? Do they accept that what they're doing is having a conversation? Like the answer would be yes, because they don't have any consciousness to look at it. So according to them, they're still having a conversation, even though that person has passed on. Agreed? Yeah, absolutely. See, now this is where things get interesting because we have all this development of technology. So if you look at like, like right now, like, you know, you could, you could text a loved one and they could text back and you could kind of maintain this running conversation, this running thread that we're all aware of. And then you can look at it and you can be like, well, when that person dies, like through the technology, like that, that text doesn't necessarily need to stop. When you see what's happening now with AI and like where this stuff might be uh, put into practice, like why does that text need to stop after that person has passed on? We could be providing people, I'm talking about what, what the materialistic commercial powers that be would be thinking right now we could be providing people with some sort of relief that of course they're going to have to pay for but that that text thread can keep going even after the person is gone it doesn't require the actual person on the other side so i think it's interesting like as we watch this technology develop and i mean it doesn't take a whole lot of like connecting the dots to to understand that Whatever that process is, is just going to get better and better and better. And at some point you could be like interacting with something that's definitely not there, but is so real that the interaction in the 3D, like you can't even tell the difference anymore. But the way the technology is strengthening the 4D, but at the same time, learning how to manipulate and control the 4D. Like we're in some real fractal trouble here because we know that it doesn't have like any good intentions. Yeah, you bring a a good point. I mean, I knew we were going to talk about AI and for me, it's going to make conscious people more conscious and unconscious i know this is a very simple way to put it but it's going to make conscious people more conscious and help them on their path and unconscious people it's going to send them into the oblivion i mean whatever you your definition of oblivion is um but yeah i can't see i i just saw that new apple which is called the apple vision that come out Apple Vision Pro. Apple Vision Pro. Um, And it's completely immersive digital computer right in front of your eyes. So, um, you know, pretty expensive too. But what I thought was crazy is it was like this meditative type thing on there as well that you could experience. And, you know, if me and you put something like that on all we would probably be interested in is how to further our path or 
see if it could kick in our mind's eye even better. But I do see like a level of unconscious coming that's on top of our what we already have is is definitely going through. We're it's almost like a defect if if we don't all knock at the door and discover what's naturally here. Because you look at the universe, you look at the galaxy. I mean, the technology of where we're at is unbelievable if you walk outside like we're in the most intense technology all around us but nobody notices that so it's almost like a defect of mankind to where we have to start that process of you know even from when we were little boys you know atari started and the biggest and baddest thing was the graphics you know the next video game said it's going to have better graphics Oh, the next one's going to have better graphics and as it's all been born everything has better graphics but you walk outside and it's like supreme graphics and nobody even (laughs) sees like supreme graphics so with this new technology obviously computers are continuing to move forward and now it's about you know the experience of close up and close up and close up like i it's if you really look at it like looking at a computer five feet away is not going to be good enough anymore looking at an app from two feet in your hand is not going to be good anymore so they're bringing it up here right where you're fully immersed in it so there we're obviously trying to make sweet love to it but what's what's what is the end game of that so your cell phones or people it, it made people more unconscious even the people that are unconscious made them way more unconscious. So you put something on someone's face that's so good that now in 20 years, we look back at the smartphones and think the people used to use those. So now it's even more immersive to where like conscious people probably aren't even going to want to put the damn thing on because they, they understand when they put it on after two minutes that they could be complete like <clears throat> dead meat in a couple of days. So I always find it interesting, like a technology for us and in ways, it's absolutely beautiful. Like me and you, two regular guys on a spiritual path are able to broadcast to people who want to listen. And you can find this podcast anywhere around the world. And it didn't take much effort for us to do that. You know, it's not like it was hard. Like that's pretty impressive for technology yeah but the end game as far as all the gadgets and things to fully immerse ourselves like you know that that's a point too like if it's going to make conscious people more conscious because this podcast i'm looking at you four feet away but what are me and you going to do okay if we ever get those apple visions and we put them on our face and now we can have an experience in the 3D on a on a podcast. We're going to do that because it's probably going to make us more conscious. Like you're going right. to be like right here or I'm having a conversation. You're in a different state. But it's going to propel us to more consciousness. And we're still going to keep talking truth, you know, on the microphone to someone else, you know, who doesn't use the tool correctly. I think it just needs to be seen as a tool. 
I mean, there's so much stuff to that 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 meta stuff. Uh, meta stuff is is interesting too because I, I find it so ironic that we're creating other dimensions. It's the funniest thing in the world because that's just like video games. Like we're to the point where we want to create other dimensions, but it's like you haven't even discovered like the infinity of what's going on here. It's kind of like the Atari thing, walking outside with the graphics. We already have the best graphics, but we right. already have like these insane dimension that nobody, nobody even gets past their subconscious to even get there. And now that's why I was saying it's a defect. Are we doing that? Cause we ultimately like in people's subconscious, they ultimately know that there's other dimensions. So are we being, you know, driven to do that? because we know it's out there and just most people can't attain it. So they're like, well, I'm just going to start, we're just going to create dimensions. Cause you know what I mean? Like it's. Yeah. Just the intellect run wild. I mean, you can hear it in people in the discussion, you know, with like AI, you know, like, what is it? Like, what is chat GPT? Like, what, what is it? Like, is it consciousness? Is it something um, and if it's not, is it leading to consciousness? You know, is it writing its own code? Is it going to figure out, you know, how to, you know, birth consciousness within itself? And I think for us, I mean, we've talked about this already. Like we kind of understand at this point, like consciousness is is not emergent the way that we used to. I mean, for you and I, that debate is over. Like, yeah, it's that, not emergent. That's that when you said that, it made me think, um, about what you said and is that the point where it's 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 proven itself because i totally agree with you i don't think it can ever get to that point yeah but that's and that's kind of what i want to point out is it doesn't have to get to that point i don't think it's going to get to that point but it it's just as dangerous not getting to that point and that's because of the way we relate to ourselves in the 4D. So, again, if you take that scenario where somebody's passed on, but you have the the AI playing the part through like a text thread of that person that's passed on, I don't think we realize that as these things start to <clears throat> get better and better. So, let's say you're let's say for example, your father has died and you're continuing a conversation with him through the AI. Eventually that AI is going to serve you better than your father ever did. And that's not a knock on your father. That's just understanding what the machine is going to do. It's going to learn to manipulate and play into that 4d space and it's going to it's because it's only going to be serving your needs and next thing you know you're going to have a better father in death than you did in life but that's going to be for all of your relationships your wife your kid everything is going to serve you in this ai 4d realm and you're going to be stuck because you're not going to be able to relate to like what you said, you know, the the graphics of the actual world where it takes compromise and it takes 
it takes some sort of consciousness to interact with somebody. The AI is just going to serve your needs in the 4D. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, the text thing is... Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to lead people to be more unconscious, but that unconscious is going to seem so real because, you know, for it to finish a text, but then you put on put on the goggles or whatever and you know you're you're standing with a loved one that's passed on and it's so real that you don't know the difference yeah but it's dangerous and they're just there for you yeah it's so yeah but that that is the definition of demonic yeah yeah because when it serves you only then why do you why do I have those conversations in my head? Why is it ha- hard for me to get out of a prideful one? Because it feels really good. Right. And then, you know, the spiritual path is not something that puffs you up or makes you f- it after a meditation, you feel good. I mean, you feel good in the present, but it's nothing that makes you feel good like that um, serving yourself feel good. So when you amplify that now, like, I don't even know if people are like, you know, with goggles on, they even have the time to justify because it's so real and so self-serving that you're just, like I said, you're, you're driven, you're being driven into more unconsciousness. Yeah, but a point to which you can't see anymore. Like ev- everyone can has a crack open. Everyone has a crack open. Like e- everyone can still see the sun come out. You know, you you still you still have a a crack, but that is driving to where it feels so real. But the door is completely like shutting on you to where like you don't know the difference between real and unconscious behavior and it's serving you so powerfully that yeah i don't even see i mean it's we see what's happening around us so it's not like that's going to stop but as far as the consciousness yeah i don't see it ending well as far as you know i i see conscious people getting really conscious and you and and unconscious people getting just like zombies like zombies and it's evidence right now because we're we're kind of there i mean if you look at a person on their cell phone and yes i'm guilty of it too you know um in my family like the word zombie is used like if someone's right. been on their phone for like 15 minutes, you're like, Hey, you zombies. Right. I'm here. Right. Pull your right. head up. Right. But there, there's some truth to that though. I mean, it Absolutely. is minuscule, but we still have a crack open. Like I can still see the sunshine through the freaking windows. So I can be pulled out of that and I'm okay. But this, this is the smartphone is like an Atari. Right. It's like an Atari. Like it's going to get, intense to where like now the next step is you got to grab someone's arm and be like, <laughs> like yank them out like no you're really a zombie 
and then right. from there where does it go i think ultimately it has to lead to suffering which suffering is good though like <clears throat> you know ultimate suffering equals ultimate awakening so yeah the smartphone is kind of in that middle ground where people are able to justify it but if you push push the suffering more i mean that's that's nothing but a good thing to me we've seen what happens when you push suffering right (laughs) you know the first matrix was designed to be a perfect world nobody would accept the programming i mean so i mean eventually it goes that direction too and i think uh, my main point i wanted to get at is like it doesn't require anything spooky it doesn't require anything mystical nobody's saying that there's like consciousness in the machine it's not going to require that in order to build this system in the 4d and then once it does build the system in the 4d like you said like we're in real trouble we're in real trouble where you're losing access to like any hints on how to get out once you start engaging in it to that level. And uh, that was just my warning. And just as you look at all this, you know, AI talk that happens in the, in the culture right now. And um, just from a spiritual point of view, I definitely think there's a lot to be concerned about. Like you said, I, I, I don't think you need to be a, fatalist or anybody needs to worry too much about it just be aware of it and um yeah it's gonna make a lot of suffering but you don't know that suffering could be the thing that breaks the camel's back you know yeah we don't talk about it it's interesting it's very interesting to me because there's one piece of technology that came out to started this all and it was the television and now yeah. it's so a part of the households that you don't even notice. But what's the number one distraction of like consciousness in um, a household? And this started what in the, I mean, fifties, whatever it may be. I mean, yeah. when I was growing up, to getting better TVs was a new thing. You know, we got cable when we were a little older for the first time and you know that expanded all the channels and now what you see today i mean literally anything you can watch and that kind of started it all that was like eight feet away it's all coming closer but that was the first i feel like you know in in a capitalistic society you know one of the first things that is capitalized on is you know what can you do to unconscious people yeah subliminal messages and advertising i mean yeah they're they're definitely on to this and manipulating it yeah yeah and unconscious people are very suggestible um so yeah it started back then and what it's come to today i I often look at the TV like that, but again, the TV can be used in, in great ways. There's a lot of great sharing on the TV, you know, right. maybe 2% of the whole deal, but you know, 90% of what you see on TV is garbage, but there is still like, uh, it, when you're on the path, it's provided me with information that has furthered me 
on my spiritual path. So it's, it's definitely a double-edged sword. I mean, yeah, it's just one of those things. Can we uh, take a hard turn? Because I kind of wanted to go over this dream, but it's a big change of subject. I love hard turns. All right. Um, I think this one is really related uh, relative to the show because there's so much discussion about anger and so much discussion, especially with me. Most of my process um, was a big revelation about anger. And it seems that there's more to understand about it. And I was really kind of thrown for a loop this week in the dream work. And I think it's worth sharing. Um, I had a dream where I was, there was some kind of um, like military training going on, but it was like really playful. It was like real, almost, it reminded me of like playing capture the flag when we were kids. Like there's like a military strategy going on, but it's like really, really playful. And um, I was feeling great. I was totally attached to the project. Like anytime something gets tactical and like strategic, like because you'll have those dreams where like you kind of pull out as an observer and then you have the dreams where you're like completely identified. This one, I was completely identified. And I find myself identified like that when stuff gets strategic and there's stuff to figure out like that really pulls me in and I'm super identified in that. And it was weird because um, I, we got caught and I was being like silly. I was being silly and I was just trying to. There was like a bunch of interactions and people I knew and I was just trying to like you know, like when you hide, but you're like pretending to hide and everybody knows you're pretending to hide. Like it was just like, a, I don't know why I did it. It was like I got caught in the wrong spot and I was just being silly when I got caught in the wrong spot. <clears throat> this dude came up and soccer kicked me right in the face. Like full on, like I was down on the ground, like I was down and on full, like full on completely violent soccer kick like right to my head and it changed everything like that moment changed everything and I didn't immediately react like I didn't get up and like have this violent outburst or anything I just got real super quiet and it's weird because it's like more consciousness is coming there. Like, cause I'm getting quiet with it. I'm getting quiet with it. So like in the game, like I was caught and like, everybody was like, dude, that's uncalled for. Like some people were standing up for me. Like some people were laughing, but I'm just silent. Completely identified. My anger is like through the roof, through the roof. But it's not a lash out. It's just I'm feeling it. And I'm just letting it build. It feels so good. It's swelling. And I'm just letting it come. I'm inviting it all in because I can't help it. It just feels great. And I go to like this capture the flag jail. And I'm thinking to myself of like revenge. 
there's I'm all by myself. I'm in like some weird captured flag jail and I'm just thinking of my revenge. And I imagine <clears throat> that I'm going to knock this guy out. So I'm going to, you know, just go up to him and I'm going to knock this guy out. I'm going to cold cock him, a sucker punch him and, and knock him out. Like that's my revenge. And it gets so intense, so intense. That I actually like wake up in my bed. So I'm awake in my bed and I'm like shaking it off and I'm trying to go back to sleep. But as I'm trying to go back to sleep, it starts kicking in again. And I realize that if I sucker punch him, he's not even going to feel it. Like this guy hurt me. This guy hurt me. And if I sucker punch him, he's not going to feel it enough. I'm just going to knock him out. So I'm going to sneak up and I'm going to get him in the gut. I'm going to double him over. Good punch in the gut. And then as he doubles over, then I'm going to hit him on top. And then I'm going to get on top. I'm going to keep hitting him. I'm going to keep hitting him. And that's when I come to. I'm in my bed, completely awake, not in a dream anymore, going through this revenge fantasy. And I, I popped up out of bed, so like onto my feet, because I'm in the practice right now of getting up and dream journaling. So it reminded me of like that wallet dream where it, the, the emotions and the reaction stayed with me even as I'm waking up. So I'm super identified with this. And it's so violent. Like I feel dirty. I feel gross. I feel like as I'm getting to my feet, I'm out of bed now. I'm getting ready to go down to my journal, start writing this stuff down, start spilling it out. Um, and I'm, I can't believe it. Like I can't believe like how identified I was with this anger. And it, I just feel super revealed. But as I'm writing it down, I realized what I was saying to myself is this guy hurt me. This guy hurt me. But when I, a quick retrospection, just looking back, I never felt any pain. This was in the dream world. When he kicked me, there was no pain. There was pain to my pride. He hurt me and stirred stuff up inside, but I was telling myself there was pain, but it was a lie. There was no pain. He didn't hurt me. He didn't hurt me at all. I was lying to myself to justify this whole process. And that became clear as I was writing stuff down. So I was feeling really, really dirty. This is all, is all like at three o'clock in the morning. So I have to go back to bed and um, I'm feeling gross. I'm feeling like I got some on me. I'm not feeling really proud of myself. I'm like, well, geez, you know, I kind of thought maybe I got through a lot of these anger things and maybe I was beyond this point. And so as I'm going to bed, I just prayed. I mean, there's there's lots of divine mother prayers you can go over. And normally I just kind of make mine up as you go along. But it's basically just I'm asking 
the divine mother like okay i see it i i don't want it i can't do this with, without you you are my only refuge i need guidance i need protection i need help this this is all in your hands i'm ready i see it i don't want it i see it and i don't want it and that's how i fell asleep with that attitude of like surrendering to whatever that dream was trying to show me i had another dream that night and i was a little boy probably like four years old and i was immediately identified in this dream immediately identified and i had a toy train and it was one of those things where you like you push down on it and you let go and then the train goes and when i did that and the train goes like sometimes the train would go and i could predict what it was going to do and other times i couldn't predict what it was going to do so all i did is keep pushing this train and i'm predicting what it's going to do if it matched my prediction, I was completely level. So this I'm on, on a four-year-old level here, and I'm identified. If it didn't match my prediction, I was getting mad at the train. Like really mad at the train. All it is, it's not matching my prediction of what it's supposed to do. And that's, and I'm getting, so... I'm using the toy train at four years old just to figure out when I'm supposed to be mad and when I'm not. And I'm just doing it over and over again. I go this way, does what I want. I'm fine. It goes this way. It does something I don't expect. I'm mad. And I'm just, I do that over and over and over again. And then I woke up and I go and I journal all this stuff down. And as I'm journaling this stuff down, I'm like, oh my God, there's a root cause like that process before where I get soccer kicked, that was unexpected. Like I didn't expect that. And I already know I was lying to myself because it didn't hurt. So that's the only thing I'm mad about is like there was just something I didn't expect. Some kind of surprise I didn't see coming. And that's enough to set you off. And and that is... Also, in contrast to my original wake up, when I can look at myself in the original astral experiences, and the whole thing is that adventurous acceptance of the uncertainty. That is the pure state of being. Yet, that huge, adventurous, of course, it's uncertain. I mean, it, look, at, look at this. Of course, it's uncertain. And then accepting all of that uncertainty, that's where I met my more perfect self. But I'm seeing in those dreams the early development of these, the drastic judgment of that uncertainty. And from the toy train little boy feeding that through a process. And even though I don't understand all the process, I got to see a beginning process and the end process. The end process process of that is murderous rage. 
that guy deserved it. I mean, we can go all into that. I mean, he deserved it. It's not like it came out of anywhere. Like anybody, if you draw that scenario in the 3D and somebody violates you, you feel like you have the right to violate them back. But when you see it in the dream and you realize, wait, there wasn't even pain. And then I can, I can see clearly that route back to when I was a little boy and how all of that developed. So you see this long developmental pattern of something that's defective inside you that's created lies. Oh. 